Well, it is grey and cloudy in this Saturday afternoon in Vancouver, and you know what that means. It's the discard pile. I'm Jim, as always. I'm here with... Amy. Robin. And today we have a very special topic. Robin, did you want to run us down on what that is? Yeah, sure. Today we're going over all the games that have been nominated or recommended by the Spiel des Jahres Committee. And the Spiel des Jahres Committee is a group of German board game players that decide every year on the best German family game. So we're going to start with the main Spiel des Jahres Award. And this award is definitely aimed at families and people that have not played a lot of more modern board games. So you could put this in front of someone that hasn't played a modern board game before, and they should have no problem getting through the rules and understanding what's going on and having fun with it. Okay, so starting in with the recommended list. So this is like short list of nominees, um, and then we'll get into the actual three nominees. So one of the nominees is That's Not a Hat. Um, and this one is a game by Casper Lapp. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he is the designer of games such as Magic Maze, which is a game I love particularly. <laughs> and I know Robin loves it too. Mm-hmm. Um, End of list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's not a hat is a game where you are is a is a kind of party game, but you're kind of gifting these items back and forth. On the cards are these kind of rudimentary drawings of different gifts, like a bicycle, a, a xylophone, a hat. And when you're gifted the gifting the gift around the table, they're face down. So it's a lot of memory element, uh, but it gets quite chaotic quickly, especially with like higher player counts. As you pass the gift round. I could pass a card to Robin and say, like, this is a hat. And he could either accept the gift or say, that's not a hat, as is the name of the game. Uh, whoever is wrong in that instance um, gets a point. And first two, what is it, two points? Three points. Loses. First person to lose twice. Right, lose twice, yes. Is, yeah, the loser of the game. So quick and surprisingly fun um party game yeah i i don't think our group loves memory games so when ab said hey we're going to be playing a memory game today i think there was a collective groan um but we actually played two that day there was this and um the cafe one coffee oh yeah coffee order overload order overload and i think both of those games were extremely well received in our group considering we don't like memory which is amazing um it it's a light fun game it's something we don't take too seriously when someone got something wrong or if you're sitting directly opposite someone so you you have no kind of impact on this part of the game but you know that person is saying the wrong item and you make eye contact and you both have this insight secret that you both have no idea what you're passing that's that's a fun moment to have in that game yeah, I think this game has no strategy, no tactics. Uh, it is a silly, fun game to its core, which I think is fine as long as you know that's what you're going into. And I think it is silly. I think it is fun. We had lots of laughs with it, for sure. And as long as people around the table understand that it's going to be short, it's going to be hilarious, and then you're going to move on to something else that's maybe a little bit more strategic later in the day, or just keep playing this if it's family and friends that really enjoy those kind of funny, laughy games then I think, you know, it's definitely a hit uh, with that group. Mm-hmm. It's definitely been a hit every time I've brought it out so far. 
And that was That's Not a Hat. Cool. The second game on our list is Sea Salt and Paper. Sea, sea Salt and Paper. Um, sea Salt and Paper is a light-ish set collection game with a bit of a, would you say, push-your-luck kind of aspect to it and the scoring. Got that basic but satisfying mechanic where you draw a couple of cards, keep one to discard the other. Uh, knowing full well discarding that card could really enable an, an insane combo or scoring opportunity for another player. Since the next player can either draw from that discard pile or repeat the same draw two, discard one process. So things we've seen in like Parade and uh, Arboretum as well. Mm-hmm. That kind of puzzle. So there is a bit of set collection to this game uh, to unlock the higher scoring elements of it. And you can collect pairs of cards that let you take uh, game-breaking special abilities from stealing a card from another player to taking a whole entire turn the push your luck element comes in when it's time to score you're in theory trying to announce when you think you have a lead and if you do so you get to score your points as well as points based on the number of colors you have in that suit if you decide to score and you do not have the most amount of points during that round then you just score for the number of cards in a particular suit you have yeah and that's the game robin do you own this or maybe no so backstory robin's made a particularly strong effort to try to play all of these games and in fact i think we did play all of these games yeah we played them all yeah Mm -hmm. um so it's really fun in in outside of these games to see him hunt down these games to (laughs) ensure that we we get to have a fair first impression before coming here this is one we played on Board Game Arena. It's definitely one I can see being better in person where you're identifying what other players are picking up and collecting because uh, there's a slight memory aspect of that person's collecting mermaid. Stop him. Don't let mm-hmm. him take another mermaid, which didn't really come through in the online version. But outside of that, I think we were still all pretty lukewarm on this game. Well, it's... I think it comes down to the fact that we're probably not the audience. Like we, we were all four of us that did play it. We're like gamer gamers. So I think we're just very used to um, pretty much all levels of board games. So we were playing it very strategically. And one thing that doesn't enable that is the blind draw. And so you, when you discard, you're trying not to help other players, but you actually don't know like the majority of the cards at the table. So you have no idea who it may be helping. Um, so that was probably one thing that like we tried to put thought into, but you you realized you couldn't. But as a family game, I can see that if you're just trying to, you know, if a kid or someone that family member you're playing with are just playing and trying to get the best cards to benefit themselves. It's, I think it's a yeah, some fun there. there. Yeah, I agree. I think we're not the group for this game. It It does fall in the middle of it has the fun push your luck aspect. But it's not exciting enough to be treated as a like a boisterous game for us. And it has the set collection, but it's not interesting enough to be a strategic game. So I think for our group, it falls into a weird spot where it's not laughing like that's not a hat. Or the, the game that comes to mind is actually Cabo. Oh, yeah. For that same sort mm-hmm. of push your luck element. But, you know, faster and like you, you kind of know there's a lot of luck in the in yeah the draw it's a little more game. silly yeah yeah uh, it's not trying to make you think about what i mean you, you have to think in cabo but it, it's more accepting of the fact that you might not be able to make the correct decision at any point this is unfortunately the only game that we 
had to play online because we couldn't get a physical copy. And that probably detracts for how much we liked it, like Jim said. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just don't think it was a great fit for our group. And I think I would definitely recommend picking up some of the other games on this list before you try this one. Anyway, that's Sea Salt and Paper. Up next, we have Mantis. Mantis is a push-your-luck game about seeing a variety of colors because, as you maybe know, Mantis Shrimp can see a ton of different colors, way more than we can. The cards are literally just one of six colors. There's nothing else on the card. You get dealt three to start with, and those are the colors you have. The back of every card in Mantis has three colors depicted on it. The card front has a 33% chance to be one of those three colors. Before you draw the card, you must decide if you're going to choose to steal from someone or collect the card yourself. If you steal from someone and you match one of the colored cards that they already have in front of them, you steal all of that color. So if AB has four yellow cards and I choose to steal from AB and flip up a yellow card from the top of the deck, I get all five of those yellow cards into my collection. The other thing you can do if you don't want to steal is you can score. You pick that top card of the deck, you say, I'm going to score it. You flip over the card, and if you have any matching that color, so now maybe I chose to score and have four yellow, and the card that was flipped up was yellow, I would score all five of those points, and they'd be out of the game and turned into points for me. The first player to score 10 points wins the game, and it really just comes down to guessing at what you can steal from people and trying to go for big plays of stealing large piles. Uh, but maybe also trying to eke out a win quickly by scoring just a couple points instead of gambling to get that big card. What did you guys think of Mantis? I quite enjoyed it. Like, I think with more players, I think it, it you know, is definitely better. It's one of those, like, you can't take it too seriously kind of games, but it really leans into that sort of push-your-luck thing well. And um, it, it's kind of a simple system that produces, like, quick moments, and it's over in about 10 minutes, so... Yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, this and that's not a had a, a couple of games I wouldn't hesitate to bring to like a brewery or a cafe or while we're waiting for our drinks and just break it out because it is fun. It's full of moments. It's not the most balanced game or the most well-designed game, but it's it's quick and leaves an impact. Yeah, I think it's the perfect game to bring people into the hobby that have never played board games before. Mm-hmm. They immediately understand what's fun about it and... It's exciting at all points in the game. Literally every action is exciting. There's never a point in the game where it's boring. And that's really cool. And the game, like you said, is super short. So even if you don't like it and you want to move on to something else, you're not stuck there playing a game you don't like for very long. I think it's a a good game and definitely falls once again into that silly fun category. It's not strategic, but it's enjoyable. Okay, the next one on the list is one we've actually spoken about on the podcast before, and it's an older title uh, called QE. And this one is on the list likely because it just got released in Germany last year. Um, so it is, uh, that's why it is on the Spieljars recommended. Uh, but the QE is an auction bidding game where uh, we all play financial, well, countries, or the financial institutions in the countries. Um, and the, or the country's bank, national bank. And the caveat is that you can bid as much as you like because you're you're the country, so you can just print as much money. Um, but at the end of the game, whoever bids the most or a country that spent the most money is out of the running for the win. Uh, but the gameplay itself is you're bidding for sort of like set collection, I guess, of, of different like industries and uh, trying to get points through that. 
but yeah, very pure, I guess, bidding game. But just the, the idea that you can bid whatever you want is mind bending because there is a bit of hidden information throughout the game. Each round, there is an auctioneer that gets to see all the bids. So you get some information of what other players are paying. So you can you want to be the country that really bids the second most money and wins the most things. So or or, you know, just wins the most things with, without spending the most. Yeah, this is probably my favorite auction game, well, bidding game of all time. And it is so hilarious and it is able to pull off the gimmick so well. It doesn't make sense that it should work and it just does really well. Yeah, I really love QE and I'm glad it's on this list, even though it's been quite a few years since it's actually come out. Yeah, I would be remiss to not mention that first moment when the first player reveals the bid they've chosen and you wrote something 10 times smaller or 100 times smaller and then everyone's around the table is like oh it's one of those economies this time okay let's bid in the millions yeah it's very interactive at that point it's uh i know there's hidden information but like you're trying to outsmart your opponents you're trying to uh, maintain and remember how much you've spent on everything it's a good game full of good moments which i think is kind of the theme for this category doesn't outstay its welcome, and there's plenty of opportunities of memorable uh, situations. Yeah. The the thing is, like, all these are, what Jim says, like, all these kind of have hallmarks of that. I do think this one stands out to me as I would not use this to introduce, like, to a family or, like, someone entering board games for the first time. It's a little too mind-bending, even for, like, gamers, I feel like um you know maybe like some people would have luck with it but that's probably why it's a nominee and not in the in the top yeah and the games are a little bit longer too so you might want to play an abridged version before you jump into a full game if mm-hmm. you're introducing it to new players and i think that's fine but it yeah it is a little bit of a standout i almost think it's really fun to introduce it to uh seasoned board gamers especially ones who have played a lot of auction games because it is a bit of a chore slash source of anxiety to manage your own economy and to just like not have that as part of it it's bid what you want but be careful if you bid too much or you spend too much of your bank's money then you're definitely not going to win this game but you don't have to manage little paper money or coins it's Mm -hmm. what number do you think would be appropriate for this automotive industry right now two dollars <laughs> <laughs> okay and that was qe i know we have been talking about how a lot of these games i think i put it forth the idea that they've all been about moments and collaboration and uh fun events that naturally occur the next game is acropolis which doesn't really fall into this category Acropolis is a tile drafting and laying game. We're playing as architects in Greece and we're drafting tiles with three district hexes to lay upon our domain. The draft itself is century-esque in that tiles further in the order cost more stone to draft. Uh, stone's the only resource in this game. Each district can either be coloured, which attributes to scoring, white quarries, which will get you more stone to draft tiles further in the order, and then there are the colored plazas with stars on them, which enable the scoring of the colored districts. So the kicker here is that tiles can overlay on top of multiple tiles uh, you've already placed. And you only then get stone if you overlay on top of those white quarries. 
Whereas for districts and plazas, you want to leave them uncovered so they score. Further, the literal higher up you build means that your districts will be worth more points. So it's a neat puzzle that plays fast, something I can see us breaking out in a cafe for about 30 to 45 minutes. It's a bit multiplayer solitaire, although it is a game where hate drafting could benefit you as much as hurt in opposition. Yeah, I think there's a lot going going for this one. I've actually been breaking this out more than Cascadia lately, or like in terms of that sort of filler-esque game. I don't even think it takes 30 minutes. I think once people know, it's like 20-ish, um, like fast play time, but like kind of crunchy decisions and that sort of hate drafting element. You kind of do have to pay attention to like if somebody's really accruing points for a type of tile to like kind of deny that or try to balance that out, but not in a detrimental way to yourself so that's part of the decision making yeah it's interesting it asks do you want to build wide or do you want to build tall and most of what i've seen is that building tall is just better but it is harder you have a mm-hmm. higher chance of covering things you want to keep and your plans don't always work out because the tiles you need don't always come out in the order you want them to so it's a little more risky to do that uh, it's a really cool game and yeah i agree i like it a little more than cascadia although the the theme doesn't come through as much, so mm-hmm. maybe not as attractive to players that are hoping to yeah. get into gaming that way. But it's a good game for sure. And that was Acropolis. All right. Our next game is Hitster, where it's just a big deck of cards. On the back of every card is a QR code that you scan with your phone. And then once you scan the QR code, your phone will play the song or a song on Spotify. Then you use that information after hearing the song to decide where it should go, either earlier or later in a timeline of cards in front of you. Mm. Essentially, it's a music trivia game where you don't need to know the exact song title or artist, but you just need to know which era the song comes from. And as you add more cards to your card row in front of you, it gets harder and harder to get the songs in the right spot. It's a lot like Timeline if you played that. Yeah, this was a weird one in that I think you gave the impression that we should have low expectations, but ended up being quite a big hit. Uh, But I think we were a specific group where that worked out, and I don't think it will happen again. It was mainly because we were amazed at what eras of music that each person was passionate about, and it created funny little incidents of oh it turns out megan's really into early 2000s pop music and that's it <laughs> like who knew <laughs> yeah yeah so it, it's a game i felt was really great to play with a diverse group of people because i learned a bit more about each of them individually based on how well they knew certain music and how well they didn't know about some of the more popular tunes like this is for me is a good entry into that sort of lighter weight party game like you can have some drinks and not take it too seriously um i think maybe i enjoyed it quite a bit more than than a lot of other people i i would say i enjoyed it i just don't know if we can recreate the magic so to speak i think the gimmick came in and we're like ah jim knows about 1970s music what (laughs) and we will never find that out again but i feel like it is a fit for what you said, like a great party game replacing like your Cards Against Humanity-esque style board game times where maybe you don't want to play something too risque, so to speak. It's a 
really non-offensive game where everyone can have fun and participate. Yeah, the only thing that I worried about, I actually ordered the the copy when it releases in North America in August, but like we played a kind of abridged. Yeah, we played <laughs> the print and play. Print and play. Yeah, there are more cards in the final one, but even then, I don't know if there's a ton of replay. Uh, once you kind of get through, well, once you kind of get through all the cards, I guess. But even then, it's not something I'll bring out every single time. Uh, but it's like neat if somebody people haven't played it. And, want to experience it has it officially released anywhere like well, is it pitched germany yeah in <laughs> yeah. europe okay. yeah just because i think we had troubles with the app uh we did have a little trouble with the app but i think that would be fixed once it comes to north america i think the problem was that the app was only functioning in, in germany yeah for oh, some okay. reason there was i think the print and play qr codes weren't quite working the way they were supposed to eventually we had no problem playing the game but i think it could have been even smoother if they could once it releases in north america i think this is the best music trivia game i've ever mm-hmm. played is there anything that comes close i can't name another music trivia game <laughs> there's no so no <laughs> yeah there's no other music trivia game that's actually good there's yeah. you know my parents love music and are excited about music trivia but every music trivia i've card game i've ever played with them has been awful it's mm. always like you try to sing the song without the words it never ends up like very exciting People always get the songs wrong. It's silly. It's fun. This one is actually listening to music, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. And I think if your group is super into music, I think it's a must buy. Honestly, it might, like AB said, only last you a couple of plays because you're going to memorize the songs and when they came out. But that's OK. It's totally worth the like 20 or 30 dollars to have that experience. I would totally recommend it. Yeah. The fact that you don't need to know like the name of the song or the artist means that you can still be good at it if you don't know exactly that style of music because you can be like oh i hear that background synth effect it's probably from the late 80s yeah that's a great point for sure it's my favorite you do get the slight bonus point if you do know the name and and or the artist name and the name of the song yeah that's true. it's like a third of a point there's two optional rules that you can or don't have to play with and one is that if you can name the artist and name of the song you get a little bonus and the other room that rule that we didn't end up playing with is that if you know someone has the wrong answer, you can steal the point from them and correctly name when that song came out. So there's mm-hmm. a little variation if you're really hardcore music fans and you want to play with the hardcore rules of knowing every aspect of that song, or if you're just playing it to have a little bit of fun and maybe not everyone around the table is so into music, you can still play the timeline variant where it's lighthearted. I think, mm-hmm. I think it's for certain groups, it's going to be the game of the year. Mm-hmm. And that's Hitster. The last game on our recommended list for the Spiel Yars category is Kazuka. And this game took a, definitely took me by surprise. I kind of got it on a whim because I like hidden information co-op games. And this is a game where, as a group, you're trying to escape a zoo. And you are trying to propose escape plans, which are essentially suits in the deck. I think there are six different suits of cards and you're trying to each round, you're trying to deduce which cards you have the most of or like what number of those cards you you have. So depending on um, I might say, like I put my marker on the three green and you might think, oh, he thinks that there's a lot of green at the table and you're trying to get even though everyone has their own set of cards, you're trying to get a sense of what everybody has in their hand. So this one's a little tough to <laughs> to explain. Yeah, I would 
most closely relate this to Hanabi, actually. Mm. You're working together. You're trying to figure out what's in each other's hands. The way you're giving information is sometimes a little bit less straightforward than it would normally be uh, in a co-op game. So sometimes you, you're placing things on the board, not only to say, hey, I have these cards in my hand, but trying to say, hey, I have one of these cards in my hand. Or, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to pass information without actually talking to each other, which is a really cool aspect of Hanabi and something that I think also works really, really well in this game. I really liked Kazuka. My only issue is if you you basically have one second chance. Like, if you fail one round completely, that's okay. If you fail two rounds completely, you're likely not going to win the game as a group. Because there's a, a, a bit of a countdown. Yeah, there's seven rounds, and there's a bit of arc to the game where each round you want to get these tokens to unlock the next level, and the next level deals more cards to the table. If you exactly guess the number right that's at the table, say we guess like six green, and there's six green in everybody's hands, um, you will get a wild card into the deck, and that massively helps you out as well. Yeah, and to get out, you basically need all the colors, all the cards in a certain suit Mm -hmm. uh, distributed amongst the players or have a couple of wild cards in someone's hand so i think there's an issue with ramp i think it is a difficult game to win i can't remember who said this but i know the ideal pass rate for like a co-op is around 70 percent. i think it's slightly or significantly lower in this game um and is it a puzzle i want to take time solving uh because it's largely going to be a group issue rather than the game issue maybe not um yeah i agree it's going to be super group dependent either a meta is going to form or it's not you could also have a player that just decides we're going heavy blue and the table hasn't expressed that we're going heavy blue and Mm. you are going to lose that game and you have to be okay with either explaining to that player hey we have to be more uh okay with kind of trying to figure out what everyone has in their hand and not just pushing for what you have or you need to be okay with losing a bunch of games mm-hmm. it's a weird game and definitely yeah it could have some quarterbacking issues even though you're not even allowed to talk to each other mm-hmm. but uh, it's a cool one for sure yeah it rem- the experience reminds me of pandemic not the gameplay itself just how i feel while i'm playing the game if i'm not the medic i feel we if there's no medic in the pandemic game we're playing i already feel like we're playing on the hardest difficulty Mm. and that can feel the same uh because of the variable player powers right and there are like these very everybody has like an ability and they do have recommended setups for like the player count like what abilities are are in the game um but they do massively help you try to deduce what other like it could be like switching cards with another player or um where other ones drawing from the deck and just like helping the get a little bit more information at the table yeah it feels like we didn't quite figure out how to use them all to their highest potential or maybe some of them are just much stronger than others and knowing that is how you navigate the game or make it harder for yourself uh, if it becomes too easy but I think there's a lot to explore here, and it's a, definitely a game I want to play more. I think I would recommend people try it if it sounds interesting. But yeah, it could be a game that if we play another five or ten times, we realize there is some larger issues. But yeah, it's really cool. It's the most interesting game that we've talked about so far, in my opinion, and that alone uh, means a lot. And that was Kazuka.
All right. That leads us into the nominations for this year's Spiel des Jahres. So these are the three games that could win Game of the Year. So these are the top three games of this list. And we're going to start off with Dorf Romantic. Uh, Dorf Romantic is based off a video game that is uh, pretty popular and has been around for a while. And the board game version is almost exactly the same, strangely enough. Well, maybe not strangely enough. But it's a game where you take tiles like Carcassonne and you put them in front of the... uh, Take tiles and place them in the middle of the table and create a sprawling landscape. There's all variety of different things that you can have on these tiles, such as rivers, railroads, fields, forests, and towns. And as you connect them together, you create larger and larger versions of these things. Uh, In addition to that, there's tiles that have goals on them. So one might say, have five forests connected to each other, or have a railroad that's at least six long. And every time you complete a goal, you get a new one. There's continuously three goals on the map, there's always three goals on the map, and the goal of the game is to complete as many goals as you can. Yeah, it's a weird game where there's no, like, win condition. It's Your win condition is your previous performance. Exactly. If you scored mm-hmm. poorly last time you played this game, and you sc- scored slightly better, well done. Good enough. It's just try to get the best score. Exactly. Yeah. 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 There's also scoring for the largest green, or there's always also scoring for the largest forest area, town area, and field area that you create. But besides that, uh, it's that's it. It is good to know that this game is a game where you could just play solo by yourself, and adding more players doesn't change the rules at all. It just makes it a solar game that you're playing with more players. Which you can discuss where to put things, right, and, and try to puzzle it out together, which in a family situation might be really mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, very true. Although, before you said the intro and said that this was an app, I was like, this would be great as an app. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we would be remiss again if we didn't mention this is also can be played as a campaign game. I think it's actually more fun to do it because it lacks that win condition game per game. So as you get better, there's boxes you can unlock for additional tiles, uh, additional rules, some twists to the game. Uh, I think we opened two boxes. Yeah, I think three, actually. Were yeah. they pretty significant? I only jumped in on that third play. No, the boxes just add more tiles mm-hmm. or a couple more things to mm-hmm. complete. There is a series of achievements that will give you more points, which is how the game varies up each uh, each game after the first one. Mm-hmm. So it will give you little goals and drip feed you these goals as you move through the campaign, which could add a, quite a bit of variety and at least keeps the game interesting from game to game. But it mm-hmm. is largely the same game every time you play. Right. I do really like like spatial puzzle games, especially as like solo um, solo games. It does remind me, well, not necessarily in gameplay, to like Sprawlopolis kind of. Um, if it's just a tiny little card game that is a solo game. Uh, but again, you could play it multiplayer with uh, just discussing more information where to where to place things. Um, but yeah, it's a, it would be a great shrunken down little game if it wasn't a huge box. It is quite <laughs> large. I would be yeah. more interested. Yeah, I like this game a lot more than I thought I would. Uh, I think maybe I liked it the most of everyone that played it. It really felt interesting to talk about what the best course of action was. I think you would lose that if you've played maybe seven or eight times as the people around the table would kind of all agree that this is the way we should do things and that 
ramping up of learning the game kind of disappears. But for the first couple of games, it was really cool to see different ideas on how to approach the problem and solve the puzzle. And I think that's not something you get solo. And so playing it with a group or at least just one other person seems ideal. Mm-hmm. You draw a tile, you place a tile. Yeah. yeah. So you don't like so it. This is, this I, no, this I thought it was it. fine. It's weird that uh, by description, it sounds like I would, wouldn't enjoy this game. Um, the puzzling aspect that really makes it a game is the fact that you must always have three tasks at one time. And you don't know or decide how these tasks appear. Uh, traditionally, these tasks are all have a village size four or five or six. And if you draw that village task of tile six and you make that six size village, that village can't score for your five or four tiled tasks anymore. So the order in which the tasks come out is very important. There's usually a discussion slash argument on the table about closing certain regions um, that I think I got overly frustrated with. So, um, again, a game similar to the Unlock, similar to a lot of solo uh, co-op games, I would just prefer to play solo. Yeah, if your group has a quarterbacking problem, this game is not going to work. I have a quarterbacking problem. <laughs> yeah, I was quarterbacking, and so you didn't like it, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought we don't play a lot of games like that because mm. of that issue. I think we have learned that quarterbacking is not always the most fun and it does happen whether you like it or not. But it was cool to have those conversations that we haven't had in a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's not the best game, but it it was interesting. And that's Dorf Romantic. Cooperative Carcassonne. The next nomination we're going to talk about is Fun Facts. Fun Facts is a social co-op game where as a team, you're trying to rate yourself against a given prompt, as well as rank yourself within the rest of a group for that given prompt. Uh, so a prompt could be on a scale between 1 to 100, how much do you like board games? And you'll write your answer down on a little whiteboard and one at a time place your answer face down in relation to those who have already played before you. So Robin went and then AB put his answer above Robin, saying he thinks he likes board games more than Robin. And then maybe I think I like board games more than Robin, but less than AB, I'll slide my whiteboard between them. Uh, once everyone's done this, you flip up all your little whiteboards uh, and you score for the longest chain of correct rankings. And that's the game. Yeah, super, super simple. Um, you, your score is basically at the set number of rounds, like how many points you have. Yeah, again, so, a again. similar thing to Dwarf Romantic where there's no one condition yeah or like just one in the same series with just one was kind of the same soul clover also like similar yeah i think it's interesting this is more of a social game i think indoor romantic having a high score is not really ideal but in a game like this you're just having fun and a high score is not really indicative of of how well you're doing it's more just a, a number yeah to be perfectly honest this felt more like a human resources team building exercise than an actual game <laughs> yeah for me personally. A, little, a little bit yeah I, I i think it's been pretty well received every time i've broken it out so far like i think people kind of get it pretty well were we the worst received group <laughs> maybe yeah because i just yeah. remember i was complaining about how 
vague these questions were. But I think that's largely the point of this game, and we overthink things very easily. Yeah, there's a range of questions. There's some questions better than than others. That's true. Like this game works well, like families, um, again, or like a close group of friends or or someone that, yeah, where you kind of know their tendencies, you kind of know answers to these questions a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's going to make a big, big difference. If you're playing with a bunch of people that you've never really met before, it's going to be hard and you're going to learn things about the people that you're playing with, but maybe not as fun as it could be. Whereas if you're playing with your family or really good friends, it's going to feel like you know them and when things go wrong, it's going to be both hilarious and eye-opening to how the people feel about the question. Yeah, there's always a fun little discussion after the reveal of why do you think I like board games more than you do? Those kinds of things, which creates a bit of a chuckle moment. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Honestly, Mm -hmm. Just One has the advantage of being so easy, you could Mm -hmm. introduce it to any group. But I would happily play this over Just One or Codenames or all those other like very open social games. I I like this a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. like some of the questions are like in general how many times do you a year do you go to the movie theater or like what is your ideal number of vacation days per year yeah so I think, like these are yeah things that you can answer just you know pretty honestly and then i think those were the better questions right. yeah those were good anything one, with a numerical answer is great right yeah the ones we had trouble with was on oh, the zero to 100 yeah how interested are you in becoming a spy from zero to 100 mm. like what does 70 mean that well, that you're seventy percent interested yeah. in wanting to be a spy. That feels Robin. like I'm <laughs> applying for the job, but I'm not writing a cover letter for it. <laughs> yeah. What is twenty percent interested? That I walk past the flyer at the local job symposium. Like, oh, a spy. Hmm, maybe. I think that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Two seconds of thinking what a life of a spy is like, and then I walk on. Yeah. See, I think it, now it's two games layered on top of each other, right? It's both, what does that mean to be one out of 100? Which is kind of like, what's the game that the, it has the dial and you're trying to figure out, someone says, you know. Wavelength? Wavelength. It's like you're playing Wavelength and then playing right. the other game. Ooh, that makes it heavier than Wavelength. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you like Wavelength, maybe <laughs> this is the game for you. But I, I prefer the, the questions that were more numerically based. And right. then you could kind of guess more accurately what other people would say. Mm-hmm. But not always. So it was fun. Right. And it's just like, just being able to talk about the questions is like interesting too. Like this one here is like, how many years of your life would you give up to be able to speak every language in the world? And so when you reveal your answers, it's like interesting what people would put. Yeah, it generates conversation. And yeah. if that's what you want, this game is probably one of the best at doing it. Mm-hmm. And that was fun facts. And the last one on the nominated list for the Spillity R's is Next Station London. And this one is a... Flip and fill. Yeah, like you draw and write. You draw from a deck and you uh, are building metro routes throughout the city of London. There's four different colors of, of pencils in this game. Each round you're drawing with one of them. And you're building out the route uh, based on its starting station, uh, which are scattered around the map. The thing is, because you're drawing the routes, you can't cross routes. So you actually eliminate possible routes for your other lines later on in the game. And so each round, what you're trying to do is expand your line to either touch on these tourist attractions or expand to different zones. Um, your, your most number of stations in 
at one district and you multiply it by the number of districts. So you want to get, yeah, as long of a line as possible, but also fill in a lot of spaces within one district. Um, and there's a few other scoring things where you want multiple lines to connect into certain stations. Um, and there's like certain score multipliers, but really it's about getting the most points uh, each round for four different rounds. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of this online again, board game arena, but you do have London. There's mm-hmm. uh, a version, another version of this game out, Next Station Tokyo, which I'm coming out. Coming out. Um, I'm really bad at this game, but I enjoy playing it. It's one of this, these games where uh, I'm just trying to make a fun route and not necessarily. Like, the scoring hasn't really clicked for me. Uh, and um, the way you want to score big, I think, is to maximize a station. So have lots of routes come in and out of a single station. Whereas I like sprawling all over the map. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's uh, necessarily how you get big points. But it's how I have fun with it. It's a little bit of pusher luck, too. Because, like, you, mm-hmm. you want your stations to have multiple lines going into it. But you can end up blocking yourself. And you know, not being able to draw, um, if you like, you have eliminated too many uh, routes outside out of the station. So there's a little bit of that in trying to plan ahead of what you kind of want to do with each of your colors routes. Yeah, it's cool. It's the first game that you pass the pens around or pencils around as you play, which is really interesting. And it definitely is the most strategic game that we've talked about on this list mm-hmm. so far. Um, it, of the top three. <clears throat> Of the, you think QE? QE or Acropolis are about the same level. Yeah, that's true. I of planning. feel I can be tactical in Acropolis. And maybe my strategy is just like lots of red. But I think my mistake is I'm way too technical, uh, tactical in Next Station London and you can't play this game tactically. You can't just be like, out of the two available stations... This one right. right now gives me the most. You points have to give an idea you, uh, of where you want to go. Yeah, yeah, and, you have to plan yeah. ahead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I really like I I really like roll and rights. I haven't been getting as many lately. I was on a big like roll and write kick for a long time. Now uh, you're on trick taking kick. Now I'm on trick taking <laughs> kick. But uh, in terms of roll and rights, I think there's there's definitely a top tier of ones I I like a lot, and this one's definitely up there. Yeah, I think I like this game the least, but it was still very enjoyable, and I would recommend people check it out. It's a good game. The least out of this list, or the least of the Flip and Fill rolling rights? Uh, just the least out of all of us. Like, oh, I see. at this yeah, particular right, table. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the fact that everyone's working off the same map at different times is a really unique and great experience Mm -hmm. like i could be drawing the green route and then robin you're drawing the pink one and then Mm -hmm. jim you're doing the blue one and so it's just you're building out the map at different times in my heads we're all in parallel universes and that's fun (laughs) that's just me i need to role play these games guys yeah and that's next station london so robin what would you think okay two two questions what do you think will win the award and what would you want to win the award? Yeah, it's really, it's it's a really hard 
question to ask or to answer, I should say. But I think I think it's interesting to note that of the three that are nominated, you have a co-op game, you have a social game, and then you have a strategic slash tactical game where your choices really, really matter. Um, and I think if you were to go out, if a new family getting into board games were to go out and buy all three of these games, I think one of them would be a hit for your family. Mm-hmm. I don't know if all three would be, but I think they've done a good job of covering all their bases with lots of different types of games. I think Fun Facts is going to have the most longevity as I think it's going to be fit into that same vein as code names or just one where you can kind of bring it out with any group and it kind of works. And even if some people at the table aren't super into board games or thinking too much about what's going on, they can still be involved by just writing down a number. It's not as involved as the other two games. And I think it will see the most play going forward into the years. I think if you're more into board games, Next Station London is going to give you more to think about. And if you're more into really like lounging, comfy Sunday morning vibes where you can just chill and play a co-op game, maybe like even a puzzle together, uh, Dorf Romantic is more for you. So I think all good, all three are good games, but uh, I think Fun Facts will be the most overall successful for me. Mm-hmm. So you both think that will win and the one you want to win. Yeah, I think Fun Facts will win, and it's the one I'm going to enjoy the most. Yeah, I think the same as far as overall winner, expected winner. I think Fun Facts is uh, the favorite of the list um, for the reasons Robin outlined. Uh, I didn't overly enjoy any of these games that are nominated to really have a personal say on what I think should win. I think Next Station London is slightly too complex for this category traditionally to win the game. Uh, and Dorf Romantic also has a bit of a learning curve for this category, but I think it's the most appropriate. It's very Carcassonne-esque. It's very um, board game, but the presentation of it is very light and approachable, like something you would find at a Target or a Walmart. Um, so I would like Dorf Romantic to win out of the top three. But I think Fun Facts has it. Hmm. Like, yeah, I'm kind of torn that way as well. Next Station does feel like a little complex. And I know every year uh, board gamers will complain that like the Spiel of the Yards games are too light. Uh, but it really is meant to be like an entry level uh, family game. And the one on here I would probably play the most is probably Next Station London. And this one I probably would want to win. But of the ones I think actually would would win, I think I'm leaning towards like Dorf Romantic. Like I think it feels like that sort of family level uh, game. Not too many of the sort of social ones have have won. Uh, sometimes it's like, yeah, I think it leans towards that weight of Dorf Romantic a bit. So the next category of the Spiel der Jahres is actually called the Kennerspiel, and that one is uh, kind of regarded as a next level up kind of game some people refer to it as an expert game but really that's not the case if you look at the past winners and and a lot of again a lot of board gamers will usually complain that oh this is not an expert game but i don't think it's meant to be i think it's meant to be uh you know the, the another game that your family gets when you're after your entry level ones so it really is a stepping stone game 
Cool. So we'll start with recommendations, and there's only two this year. And the first one is Council of Shadows. In this game, we are competing civilizations vying for a seat on the Galactic Council of Shadows, which shall be achieved if we manage to execute three quantum leaps. The way we manage a quantum leap is by colonizing planets and the unknown systems, extracting minerals to upgrade our own civilizations, technologies, and by claiming dominance over certain galaxies. The quantum leap is really what makes this game fly though. Each programmed action has a corresponding consumption cost that increases your civilization's overall consumption value. This value represents the amount of energy you need to collect through area control means or planet explorations to trigger a quantum leap. So if we place stronger actions, it might cost more energy and we have to go collect it by either a little game of area control in galaxies or by uh, certain planets will allow us to extract energy from them. Uh, Once our own energy collection has exceeded the consumption value, we trigger a quantum leap, which resets our energy, but not our energy consumption value. Yeah, so it's but it's an interesting game where you're setting a sort of target for yourself by like increasing that consumption level, mm-hmm. and then you have to hit that target. And the first player that does it three times triggers the end of the game. Yeah, the stronger the cards you play, the higher that target value becomes. You either play stronger cards, but then have a harder time completing your objective, or you play weaker ca- cards to get easier time completing your overall objective and determining what card is best at that moment is what the game is about there's a little bit of like programming into it too like where you play things in a certain order on your board and that affects like the range of your cards or depending on what you've upgraded on your player board yeah there's a lot going on yeah this is fairly a medium weight game right the amount of open strategic options to a player is huge. At the start mm-hmm. of the game, I was like, okay, I'm just going to upgrade my technology so I can hit those further galaxies before Robin and AB can and really abuse the higher uh, level planets. But in doing so, I gave up purchasing more powerful programmed action cards to play. Interestingly enough, I think the game played out the direct opposite in which you guys were vying over the two for this galaxies yeah. yeah but in doing so we're uh pushing your consumption value way further than mine it got to a certain point where i was like i need to give up on the area control aspect and that third of the board because you and ab were just going head to head constantly and pivoted into more of a abusing low energy consumption cards and just playing around the early game um, revealed planets mm-hmm. and it's those kind of strategic pathways throughout the game that's really interesting because it, it showed that you do have to keep track of your other players it, which is not easy to do because everyone's kind of setting their own goals in this game mm-hmm. even though it looks like robin is turning the corner on the score track board and reaching his energy consumption goal i set mine very low comparatively and was able to just like do a couple of rounds of pre-programmed actions and hit it consistently i think twice in three rounds yeah there's a lot of flexibility like there's a lot of like decision space that they go in lots of player interaction i do think it's slightly too complex for this category or like in in terms of like what games have won it in previous years but yeah i found it surprisingly enjoyable yeah i was surprised about how good it was there's a lot of interesting aspects especially the energy thing that I haven't seen before in games. I think 
the board does have a interesting aspect where you are trying to find out where the best place to grab points from is and watching the other players is fundamental in that i don't think it's something we did well enough i think we could have not competed over the same planets as much <laughs> mm-hmm. and maybe tried to go for planets that didn't score as much but were much easier to control there's that aspect and then the one thing i didn't like about the game was that the upgrade system felt like you kind of had to upgrade everything eventually and there wasn't really an angle to upgrade only a couple aspects of your overall technology yeah just because you can buy two things each round and usually you would either buy a card or upgrade your you, you always want to upgrade something like either buy a new card or upgrade your player board i just felt like at the beginning of the game i thought it would be more like feeling like a tech tree like there mm-hmm. was some asymmetry but by the end of the game we all had upgraded everything yeah i wonder if nearly. that's a problem with us and that there are strategies yeah in theory i didn't need to upgrade anything because mm-hmm. i was playing the avoiding game i was just like okay ab and rubber and this galaxy i'm just gonna leave them well alone and focus yeah. on my own ones so really upgrading my technologies to be able to read every quadrant was unnecessary i didn't need to get the technology that let me put my cubes on your planets i didn't need the technology to place on yeah Red like we planet. might have sacrificed some time or like some rounds just upgrading all our boards like maybe like with more plays you could end the game faster yeah mm-hmm. if you didn't like upgrade everything mm-hmm. yeah it's almost an efficiency thing where if you know the arc of the game you could predict what technologies you don't need but it's really hard for your first couple teams to predict that yeah next time i play i think i would try to trigger my first quantum leap almost as fast as possible those um you get a reward every time you quantum leap and they are quite very powerful yeah yes yeah so for a game that basically none of us had heard about it is uh pretty interesting and one that i think is worth checking out definitely i really enjoyed this is probably my favorite game of the year so far wow wow okay that's uh i love programming i love action selection i think the game should have been shorter than we played it I think we were looking for the perfect efficiency engine and to just abuse it. Next time, I'll probably play a bit more tactically. Mm-hmm. We do have to mention that you, the sleeve, what is, people, when you make games, <laughs> just make the cards a size that I can sleeve them. Like, what, I, we, I don't understand. You want people to enjoy your game, so then people are going to sleeve it. Just make the cards the right size. Don't make him cut. I had to cut so, so many, many sleeves. sleeves. I cut so many <laughs> sleeves. Anyway, it's leave now. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that note, that was Council of Shadows. Next up on our recommended list for the Kenner Spiel Award is Mindbug. Mindbug is a dueling card game very similar to Magic: The Gathering or Hearthstone, where two players have decks and play cards to try to attack the other player and reduce their life total to zero. In this game, you start with just three life apiece and only 10 cards in your deck, which were randomly distributed at the beginning of the game, so you have no idea what's in there. There's only about 30 cards that could be in there, so you could kind of predict what the opponent has and what you have in your deck. Every turn, you either play a card from your hand onto the battlefield, or you attack with exactly one of your creatures. The twist of the game is that each player has two mind bug cards, which allow you to steal the card your opponent is about to play. So for example, if my opponent plays a huge creature that looks like it's going to destroy me, I can just discard one of my two mind bug cards and take it for my own. It's a really cool game that has a lot of really powerful effects, so every card feels overpowered, 
And because you're not tech building or anything like that, every game is very different and tactical in its nature. It's a great way to intro someone into this style of dueling card game. And because there's no mana cost, it feels really, really quick, accessible, and easy to learn. I think the the most interesting part for me was once you realize that what the mana mind bugs are doing, which makes it 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 simultaneously makes it hard to play your own cards because you're like, will this person want to take this card? And so you almost want to bait someone. You know, you want to bait the other player into like taking that that particular card so that you use up one of their mind bugs. Uh, and sometimes it's like, oh, maybe it's worth it for me, and they won't think it's worth it. Uh, like there's one card that destroys creatures under under four, and they your opponent might have like a three and a four, but you might have like a six or a seven. So it's a perfect time to kind of play that because they have to like kind of waste their mind bug to try and keep their creatures with no effect onto yourself. If they like when they play it, yours is a six and seven, so it's, they're not going to be affected. So thing situations like that, a very tactical uh, game, but you know, it's kind of interesting as you draw new cards to be like, oh, this is my deck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of these type of games. I've since stopped playing Magic like a long time ago. Like, Muradin was my last set. But ever since then, I've been searching for like a self contained card game where I didn't have to spend so much money on it. So I played a bunch of the Fantasy Flight living card games, the Law of the Rings one, the Arkham Horror, the Legend of the Five Rings. Played Radlands. Mindbug's great because it's fast. It's direct and to the point and every card is fun did you play epic robin yeah very briefly a very long time ago yeah so that was sold to me originally on the kickstarter as like oh magic but on steroids you're just going to be playing really fun cards and it's going to be chaotic and fun and their definition of this and i think they got like magic pros to design this their definition of like fun craziness is just massive creatures and board wipes this has a bit of nuance in it. There's legitimate strategy, not to say Epic doesn't have strategy, but there's legitimate strategy in the way you play cards, as uh, AB said, and each card, well, most cards have a very optimal way to play it. And if that scenario comes up, it is very satisfying to get that out there. Or so, like you try to set up that scenario. Exactly. Yeah. Snail Hydra. Yeah, the cards are incredibly well designed. Uh, mm-hmm. They all interact in very different ways, and every card in that scenario that you described feels so broken and so ideal for that scenario. And like AB said, you're trying to set it up so your cards feel incredibly strong. When you use them in the wrong scenario, they feel like they're useless, but that's the whole game is trying to figure out when the best time to play them is. And yeah, the mind bug adds a twist that's really interesting and can do the same thing where, like AB said, when you play a card, your opponent doesn't want to take it because it's not good for them. But it's so good for you that they have to. And that's kind of the goal of the game. Yeah, it it just creates really good moments. It's very fast. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. It is good to note that it's not going to replace Magic or Hearthstone or anything like that for people. But if you want to bring people into that type of dueling card game, it's great. Or if you just want a game that you could put into your backpack and have to play at any time, it's great for that as well. It's the easiest learning curve of any of those that have played. What is it? other pre-constructed deck dueling card game that was recently released that you demoed at Shucks, I think. Keyforge. Keyforge. It'll replace Keyforge. I will... I'll go on on stand to say that. It does everything Keyforge does, but better. Do you have a hot take sound effect? (laughs) Hot take. 
There is a deluxe version that's like $100 and it comes with some playmats. Don't get that. You don't need that. You just need this tiny deck of cards and it does exactly what it's supposed to do. I don't think this game is going to appeal to everyone, but for the people that have heard this and know that that's something that they're going to enjoy, it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Go play it. And for those of you who know you're not going to like it, just skip it. It's no problem. Throw out your key forge decks. Just pick this up. Just pick <laughs> yeah, this up. True. Pick it up. Yeah, and that's my book. Moving into the nominated games for Kenner's Beal, uh, the first one is Iki. And this one is an older, I think it was like 2016, 2015 uh, title from Japan. Uh, recently got a new edition in Europe. I believe it's a French publisher. Uh, Iki is a game about uh, artisans in Edo era Japan. And you're populating your artisans into a market. And it's a rondelle system where you kind of move along the market. And you can spend sandals to, to move further. Very quaint kind of theme. And visit these market stalls, either of yourself or other players. Uh, but every time you visit a market stall, you can usually do a trade of a good or you know, buy something. And it does benefit the owner of the market stall. Like that person gets more experience. And you want to level up your artisans so that they retire and you get points from from their retirement sort of a set collection aspect there but there's a number of ways to, to score in the game there's a lot going on you can build buildings you can um, make goods or trade in sets of goods or buy fish or different types of fish this one definitely surprised me its inclusion because i do think it's too heavy for me it's not in this category like i, I think this is very much like a you know, I think an experienced board gamer uh, game. Like, I would not introduce this to this level of player. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, uh, so this was a favorite of mine. In fact, I traded for the original first edition. I don't think I'll be upgrading my copy, even though an expansion's coming out. I love a rondelle, one of my favorite mechanics. I like going around in circles and leveling up my guys. Two things I really enjoy. Did we talk about the fires in this game? Yeah, I was about oh, to say, there's yes. fire. There's a, there's a fire you mechanism. Fight those fires, yeah. or not. Every season of the game, there's four seasons, uh, there'll be a fire. And then fire starts from a randomized corner. So there'll be three fires throughout the game. And it'll burn down until somebody has a firefighting level that it can is equal to the fire. So you there's one mechanic where you increase your firefighting skill. And it is a little bit of randomness in, in the game, but it's something that you can kind of plan for or hope you don't get caught in the middle of. Yeah, that is a mechanic that you know may rub some players the wrong way, depending on uh, how the fires pan out. But yeah, it's a little bit of a pusher luck there. Yeah, I've definitely been caught in the position where I've upgraded my firefighting track to full, and then everyone takes advantage of that by building their buildings right beside mine. <laughs> so none of their buildings burn down because my firefighters are fighting off the fires. So there's an interesting uh, play mm -hmm. there and interaction on building on the board. I think also there's interaction in trying to decide what the other players want. Every building that you build has a different resource or action associated with it. And if you build something that someone really wants or that the whole table really wants, you're going to benefit a bunch from that. If you build a building that no one wants at the time, then you're not going to benefit at all. Uh, and knowing that and trying to figure that out, it's a big part of the game. And I think it's a cool part of the game and probably my favorite. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to this game that if you don't understand, you might have a poor experience. Things like, I want to recruit this salesperson to work for me because I want what they're selling. 
but if other people want what they're selling they're going to get that person to retirement way faster before i can actually use that person uh and timing of retirement means a lot in this game you score points as well on uh where your salespeople are in relation to the market there's harmony scoring which Mm -hmm. gets tripped upon constantly it's there's a little bit of scoring in a lot of things. I, I wouldn't say it's like Feldian-esque, but there's a lot of rather disconnected parts of the game that as a whole is a fun experience, but it's a game where you're going to play it the first time and probably feel like you did really badly. Play it a second time, probably feel you didn't do as bad, but it's on that third play where I feel like everything really clicks in this game. Yeah, the way that the buildings work in this game kind of point you in a direction. And if you understand how to follow those buildings, you can score a lot of points on them. But I think the first couple of times you play, you're not going to quite understand how to fully maximize those buildings. And like you said, it's going to get better on future plays, but it could be could be rough going the first couple of times. Yeah, that's one thing I hope like an expansion. The expansion is coming. I'm not sure what, exactly what it adds, but maybe some variability in those like and game scoring buildings uh, would mm. be would be nice, but uh, overall, really enjoy uh, this game. I just don't think <laughs> it belongs in this category. As what Jim said, like there's just so much scoring going on, and so many like ways to score. It's not it's not very. It doesn't click, you know. Like I, I feel like the Spiel de Yars nominees in either category are usually ones that like are fairly like yeah after you play it should either click or even after your first round or two it should click yeah it should click this one you you might need like almost a full game and that was Iki. cool the second game on the list of nominations is planet unknown in planet unknown we're developing and colonizing planets using polyomino tiles each player sits with their planet and player boards on a specific side of a lazy susan a these tiles and whomever is the first player decides what two options each player gets to pick between ultimately we're trying to fulfill as many goals as we can as well as our planet boards Uh, and to assist in this we'll be using each tile to go up one of five different resource tracks these resource tracks unlock certain bonuses and abilities and scoring opportunities like the biomass resource track gets you little green terrain tiles that can plug up holes you've left behind on your map or the Red Rover resource track lets you drive your wee vehicle across the planet cleaning up meteors. In the advanced mode, everyone gets a different planet with their own quirks to work around, both benefits and things that'll make it harder. There are also different player boards that change the way these resource tracks work and interact with one another, and a bunch of in-game conditions. But at the very heart of it, it's another one of those Uwe-style games where we're drafting tiles, placing it on a board, and trying to uh, maximize points based on what we've covered up or uh, what we've just placed down and there's certain like end game points that you're aiming for ones that you may acquire during the game with like civilization cards or uh ones between players like you're racing against a player next to you uh for certain certain rewards but yeah super simple uh trend structure actually like it's a, i love like drafting games and tiling games so this one it's really just pick from the two options in front of you and depending on what you're wanting to do usually you can find a good option uh, amongst those two yeah it's super satisfying to play i mean whenever you're filling up a board baron park style is a great experience and just because you feel like you've achieved something the goals that we're racing for is interestingly done as ab said there's a goal placed between your neighbors 
so really two in-game goals that are public to everyone. I think largely I ignored them, but we were playing the advanced variant. I was really concentrating on maximizing uh, the quirks of my planet more than anything else. Mm-hmm. I think this is such a good spiel game. It ramps so perfectly. There's so much that's modular in this game. You can play the very basic version if you want, or you can ramp it up and make it a not complex game, but at least a much more interesting game than the basic version is. And I think that is ideal for this award or this type of game that they're advertising towards. It's very satisfying to play. Like you said, Jim, when things go right, the tiles just fit together perfectly and you've built this really, really cool thing at the end. Trying to compete with one player is really satisfying because you can just look at that player's board and immediately find out, oh, am I winning in this respect or do I need to keep building towards that? And it doesn't make it so you have to look all the way around the table at what everyone else is doing. And yeah, the Lazy Susan is cool and it's like a way to make the game fast and clear and fun. That's not the appeal for me. More just how different every game is going to be because you're going to have all these different modular types of things in the game. And yeah, I think it's really good. may not be the appeal for you, but it is very fun to just watch your opponent's eyes get wider and wider as you turn the Lazy Susan towards the tiles they want and then go slightly past it and just see all hope disappear from the eyes yeah i think you're right i think for a lot of people that will be a huge appeal Uh, i just don't even think the game needs it and it's still Mm -hmm. great and it has it and it's going to be even better yeah again we're the type of players that don't tend to hate draft so we're really just looking for the tile that complements our planet at the time really well but in game it gets a bit tense on while there's only three different options I can place without, you know, really shooting myself in the foot here. And if Robin places the lazy Susan in an incorrect way, 10 points down the drain. Mm-hmm. And it's just a very accessible mechanism. Like it, the learning isn't, the learning curve isn't steep and you can start very easy. Everybody has the same map. Everyone's the same player board. And then you can go to the next level, which we recently did, which was a different map, but still the base player boards. And then you can even add more complexity on that, where everybody has a different set of player boards where the tracks all different. Either the tracks move up in different ways or there are different bonuses for everybody and alternate player powers. Yeah. And that was Planet Unknown. All right. We're on to our final game of the Kenner Spiel Award, and that is Challengers. Challengers is a head-to-head dueling game that is trying to recreate a tournament atmosphere. Each player builds a small deck and then basically plays war against someone else at the table. If you have eight players, you have four head-to-head matches going on, and then once those matches are completed, which takes between two and five minutes, you rotate to play against a different player. Eventually, every player will play against someone else on the table, and at the end, the two players with the most points will do a head-to-head battle to see who the winner is. Winning a battle gets you a trophy, which has a certain amount of points on the back, and that tells you how many points you won for that round. Battling is super simple. One player reveals the top card of their deck, and then the other player must reveal cards until they exceed the number shown on that card. That player continues until they have no cards left or exceeds six unique cards total in their play area. Yeah, it's reminiscent of an auto battler. If anyone's played Super Auto Pits or Team Fight Tactics, I think we touched upon this in a previous podcast. Two of my very favorite games and style of games. And this recreates it really well. Uh, the biggest thing is the tournament aspect. Similar to like Millennium Blades, I love simulations of 
things that I used to do very regularly. This theme, it's kind of made for the Kinnisfield because it's kind of lighthearted. It's a capture of a flag tournament. And the way you construct your deck is across several different factions. I put in quotation marks. There's like sea people, like mermaids and sea creatures. Robots. There's AI and sci-fi. There's medieval. They all do different things to your deck. So like the sci-fi deck is all about bringing in other cards during gameplay, which is unique. I mean, at its bare bones, it does come down to a game of whoever flips up the highest card without busting wins. Uh, which is fine uh, because of the deck construction part of it it doesn't just mean you're just flipping over cards you're actually making conscious decisions on which direction you want your strategy to go um, but you can't just take it lighthearted. take whatever card has the best picture or has the not highest number you'll still do reasonably well mm-hmm. i like that the deck construction which is the core decision of the game like all people will will look at this game on paper and i, I remember when i was looking at this game i was like oh i'll pick this up because I think a lot of people will enjoy it because it's like such a simple system. And I showed it to Robin. He's like, what? It sounds amazing. <laughs> but um, I, I think the deck construction is very flexible. You can you each round you add two cards in and like based on some cards that you've drawn and then you can trim out as much as you want. And that's the core of the game. It, each, between each match, you're going to upgrade your deck a little bit and make your deck better. Yeah, this game is kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, it doesn't always work. You know, you you could put the best cards in your deck and still lose, or you could put the worst cards in your deck and still win. Overall, you're going to lose more if you don't put the best cards in your deck and you don't have a strategy to what you're doing, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and that's totally okay. The fun part of this game is that the experience is so unique. Playing all four games at different times and playing against different players is really cool and not something that really ever happens in board gaming at this point, but... I think I would most closely relate it to something like Captain Sonar. Mm -hmm. It's not real time, but the group aspect is definitely there. And the feeling you get from such a large game is really neat and fun uh, and unique. Yeah. And I think it's well within that category. Like Captain Sonar or like Sidereal Confluence, like the trading game where it's it's just the atmosphere the game creates is is so like unique. This one feels like you're having a you know, a big tournament day and everybody's like playing at the same time and it just feels, um, yeah, so different than other games. Yeah, it's not a game that I would play every weekend, but it's one that you bring out every once in a while and is pretty fun. One that I would recommend people check out and that's Challengers. Okay, so Kennerspiel. Which one do you think will win and which one would you want to win? For me, yeah, I think Planet Unknown is likely to win and also is the one I think is best suited to win. Challenges has this weird thing where I think the weighting is fine for this category, but to me, it plays best at like higher player counts. Feels a bit not in the spirit of Kinnis Beal. Yeah, it's probably best six to eight or six or eight. <laughs> like you can do seven with like the AI one, but. Yeah, and I think we talked about how Iki was a bit too complex. Whereas Planet Unknown, I think, is the definition of this award. It's easy to pick up, easy to explain. Um, there's depth if you want to go deeper into it. But even base game is enough of a unique board gaming experience that uses the right amount of your brain for this particular award. That it doesn't feel overtaxing, doesn't feel like it drags. It's really 
a precise nomination for this award, and that's why I think it's going to win. And like really flexible player count, like because everybody does simultaneously take their tile. So no matter how many people we play it with, it's one to six is the player counts, and it will take about the same amount of time. Yeah, I think this one's a lot easier to call. I agree. Planet Unknown is the pick. That's also the one that I would choose for people to check out first. I think they've done a good job once again of if you bought all three of these games, you would find something you liked. You would either find that, hey, you're more of a party gamer and you want to keep up that atmosphere of fun, lighthearted laughs. That's what Challengers gives you. Or maybe you want Iki, which is a little bit more thinky. There's a little bit more depth. After playing six or seven times, you're still able to discover things. And maybe that's what your group wants. Or maybe you're more in the middle and you want something that is very modular and a little more straightforward, but able to play these large groups. And that's Planet Unknown. So I think they're all good choices. But ultimately, I would say if you're just going to pick up one, Planet Unknown is easily the pick. Yeah, I think for me, Planet Unknown will probably be the winner here for all the aforementioned reasons. I do somewhat think I would... I would appreciate if challenges one too because it's bringing something. I I think there's a freshness to that game that's uh is above the other two in my my mind. I like the other two games a lot, so um, I'm just saying like in terms of feeling innovative, challenges is 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 there for for me. But I'm excited to see what the expansion will bring. It's another uh, whole new set of factions. It's an expand alone, um, so just more variability to the the game is cool. Yeah, I agree. I think if you ask me which I want to play, it's always going to be Challengers. It's the most exciting game. It's the most unique. Uh, It's the most different from any other game that I've played. But I think if someone is not sure what they like, I think Planet Unknown is a safer bet. In addition to both the Spiel des Jahres and the Kenner Spiel, the committee also gave an award to the Unlock series this year, which is basically, if you think of an escape room game, Like if you'd go to an escape room place, but in a box on your kitchen table. In this case, it's called Game Adventures, and the theme is three different board game universes. The three themes are Ticket to Ride, which is about train building game you've probably heard of, Mysterium, which is a deduction game about ghosts, and Pandemic, which is a disease-curing co-op game. Yeah, I think the interesting part about this one, we played two of them, um, and Robin played all three. Uh, was that they incorporated mechanics from each of those popular board games into this little escape room puzzle. And really, this is probably my favorite of the, like, um, the Unlock series is my favorite of, like, uh, all the escape room in a box games, just because they're very compact. They are a deck of cards and, uh, yeah, really accessible and usually try to bring something new to each experience. Yeah, I love Unlock. I think these ones are especially good. They really leaned into the app. It used it in different ways that we haven't seen before. And some of them were really, really interesting and really fun. I think if you don't like apps in your board games, obviously you're not going to like this because you definitely can't play it without. And then instead you should probably look at something like Exit. But it's a really good implementation of a escape room game. Yeah, my only issue with Unlock Games is they're pretty linear. Um just by the limitations of the design of just being a deck of cards once again um and an app so i prefer the exit games as more of an open space puzzle whereas the linear games it gives me one puzzle at a time and i solve it and i move to the next one 
Uh, and just the limitations of being a card-based game means some of the puzzles are either really straightforward, connect a blue card to a red card, or the puzzles can be really abstract and you can tell the designer was trying to be really wacky and tricksy with that particular puzzle and it just doesn't hit with the group and we just let out a sigh of frustration of how silly that puzzle was and we move on to the next thing and i think that happened a couple of times once in pandemic and once in mysterium off the top of my head without any spoilers but i mean the game comes with ways to get around them if you just want to hit the solution button on the app but yeah i traditionally like to play the solo for that reason because it's yeah it's just a linear adventure game that has some obstacles every so often that makes me stop and think about what i need to do next i think the reason that i have started buying all the unlocks and haven't bought any exits is because they're resettable Mm -hmm. i can collect all the unlocks i can share them with my friends and family they can enjoy them as well and i think that makes a huge difference to me and maybe not for everybody but i think it makes a lot of sense that this ends up on the spiel de zaris award where people probably don't want to be ripping up their board games and they want something that they can show other people and they can enjoy as well. So I think it's a really perfect fit as a system. And even though these were probably some of my favorite in a long time, they not necessarily have to be the ones you start with. Some of the things were complicated and their previous versions of Unlock have all been great as well. So if you want to start there and then play these after, you kind of understand the system a little bit more. That's great too. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode. We hope you enjoyed the Kenner Spiel and Spiel Desires talks. We've got to go and play more board games. We hope you're having a great time listening to this podcast. Safe travels and happy days. So how do you Dirty. pronounce it? Spiel Desires. The Yars? The Yars? Spiel Desires? Yars? The Yars. I pronounce it Spiel Des Yars. Yeah. Yars. You guys seem... In Planet Unknown, we're developing and colonizing planets using polyon. Poly. Why do I do this game? Polyomino. Yes, polyominoes. Polyominoes. Polyominoes? I don't think there's an S. Polyomino. Tiles. Polyominoes. Sure, there's an S. There's an S. Is there? Polyomino. I think it's plural. Next is the Kinner Spiel. Jim was responsible for playing all these games. Jim, what did you think about the best children's game of the year? Wait, what's the list? <laughs> Kinder. <laughs>